You will fail. So what? Everybody does. But your gym, your watch, your yoga pants, they pretend you won't. So when you miss a day, eat the pancakes. Give up on a workout? You failed? Seriously, what the hell? We're body. We've been a part of that too, but not anymore. At body, we're rejecting perfection and embracing reality. Not in a pizza Monday kind of way, in a loving your whole life kind of way. In a, this workout is fun and it's okay if I take a week off kind of way. In an, I'm eating healthy and it's okay if I indulge kind of way. In a, I like myself no matter what kind of way. Yeah, you will fail. We all will. But we're not going to let that be the end. You see that? We're already making progress. So let's keep going. We are body. Start your free trial at body.com. That's B-O-D-I.com. We are so excited. We have a special bonus episode for you. We are connecting with Sharnay. You might know her as Here We Read, which is an amazing Instagram account. Um, I'm kind of fangirling out. I have to say, I'm so happy to be talking to Sharnay and having us having her share everything that she knows about um, diversity and inclusion and just everything in her process with the books. But I have to say, Sharnay, your page has blew my mind because my family is from the Dominican Republic and you shared a book that it was called, um, um, if I'm now I'm like blanking on the name, but it's like if Dominican wore color. Yes. And yes. I like as an Afro Latina, I just like, Oh my God, I feel seen. Like I didn't know there were books for people like me. So really? I just, you know, thank you for the work that you're doing and you're giving, you're bringing light and, to books, to everyone, to all different types of backgrounds, because it's important. So I just want to know a little bit more about you. Tell us about Charnay. Um, tell us about your background, how you started your account. We're always interested in those kinds of stories. Yeah. So thanks again so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. A little bit about me. So my story is kind of interesting because I didn't start out intentionally trying to do this type of work that I kind of fell into my educational background is in computer science and information technology. I went to college for my bachelor's and received my bachelor's and master's in computer science. And then I went on to graduate school and I got my master's in that as well. And I, my first job out of college, I was a computer programmer and I was a, a develop, computer programmer slash developer for 15 plus years. And I really love that work, love being a techie. I'm still a techie at heart. I love all things tech, all things related to computers and gadgets and technology. But in my spare time, while I was still working a full-time job, I started a blog. And I started my blog back in 2015. And at the time when I started it, my kids were ages one and two. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was looking for a creative outlet, something that I could do being a new mom, having two kids under the age of two. And I just wanted to kind of do something creatively. And I thought, well, what do I know best? And I immediately thought of books. I've always loved to read ever since I was a child. Reading and writing have always been my passions. And so I said, well, let me start a blog about books. And I just started. I just had the idea and I just got to work and I started it. 
And in the beginning, as as all things are, you only have like your mom and your family who's following along and maybe a few friends. And that was it. And it wasn't until probably about three years in, I started to kind of gain a little bit of traction where people were really interested in what I had to say. Then in 2020, of course, uh, unfortunately, George Floyd happened and people like literally flocked to my account. I remember I, I did a post on a book and in one week I got like over a hundred thousand followers. I had already had, I had already had about two, when, when that, when George Floyd happened, I had already had around 225 or something plus followers but then George Floyd happened, and I remember that week. It was just like literally, it had just exploded. Well, Which that was has to be weird too, because on one hand you're happy to have awareness, but on the other hand, it's such a horrible thing. Right. That exactly. That happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was kind of on the fence about it. Like, oh well. At first, I was like, "What's happening?" I didn't know why everyone was kind of flocking to me. I mean, I, I it was a great post, but. Uh, I think just the timing of it was just so timely and everybody like really felt the words that I kind of had to say. And I already had all of the infrastructure set up with my, my affiliate bookshops that I do for Amazon and bookshop, you know, everything is organized. I have the blog and then of course the Instagram page. And, you know, so good thing I had all of that set up and people just literally just flocked to it. Um, it was an un- unfortunate situation that turned out to be a benefit, I guess, for me in, in a lot of ways. But it was around that time that I had started to think about, well, maybe I can do my blog full time. Maybe I can just be a full time content creator. I had already been thinking about it prior to the George Floyd incident. But then once that happened, I really started to, to get a little bit more serious about it. And then in the summer of 2020, it was in August 2020, I decided to leave my full-time job and work for myself as a full-time content creator. All the while, in in the process of while all of this was happening, I had already been approached by publishers to write children's books. So I, I had, at the time when I left my job, I had two children's books already under contract with a third one in progress. And so I said, well, why not? Why not bet on myself and try to see if I could do this being a content creator as well as an author? And here we are today. That's literally how it happened. (laughs) I love that. I feel like we're kindred spirits. So I have two kids that are 16 months apart. And we started this whole thing for the same reason. We were both moms needing a creative outlet. And so I think it is really cool what's happened to you over the course of six years. And I think sometimes people see your account. Oh my gosh, she's huge. And now she has these books. I mean, it's a, it's a journey and there's a lot of ups and downs and probably times where you thought about, you know, is this what I should be doing? Is this the best use of my time? But I think it's so cool that you, you push through, but also that you had this idea before all of this happened. This wasn't a That's response right. to George Floyd. You already That's were right. doing this, which I, th- I just think it's so cool uh, and just so needed. As as a white mom, I flocked to your page because I'm like, how do I start this conversation? How do I tell my white children 
you might not experience this, but your friends will. And what, right. what do you say? And it's, I just, it's been so helpful. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so interesting the way that the, the whole thing evolved with, without any sort of intention behind it. It was really the attention behind me starting my blog was I wanted to just share these books with other families, really. I had a lot of friends who would always ask me for book recommendations, whether it be for their kids or for themselves to read. And I said, well, let me just start talking about this. And I did. And it was all just, and it's always coming from a place of like, this is what I love to do. I'm passionate about it. And I think, and I hope that that comes across in the content that I create, that I'm really just doing this because it's something that I love. No, it definitely does. Like I take your recommendations, they feel genuine. It doesn't feel like hashtag influencer. Hey, I got this book. It's (laughs) No, it feels very authentic and genuine to you. And I've gotten so many amazing books. I, I love books as a kid and I love them, especially now. Like I, my favorite time of the day is bedtime with my daughter when we're reading books. Like she's loves reading stories too, but I'm curious, like what is the process you take for your book selections? Are your kids involved? Like, do you, um, kind of run them by them to make sure it's true and genuine to you and the brand that you've kind of created for yourself? Yeah. I, my kids are usually not involved in the book selection process. It's usually something that I do on my own. I kind of feel like, and you know, this is, this is how humans work. This is how we work. We love stories, right? We love to be told a good story. And so whenever I can find a book that tells a really great story, I'm so excited about it, especially in a way that kids can understand it. I get so excited about that. So I'm always looking for what is the overall storyline? What is the plot? What are the messages that are they're, they're trying to send in this book? Or either directly or indirectly, because sometimes there's wordless picture books too that can tell a great story and they don't have words, but they have these amazing illustrations and you can kind of interpret it in your own way. So I love books like that as well. But I'm really looking for, you know, the overall story. What message is it trying to send? Who's writing the story? Who's telling the story? Who's, who's illustrating the story? Are they of the same race if, if, if it involves humans are is the illustration is the illustrator or is the author of the same race as the main characters in the book that's not always important but sometimes that can be right it depends on the subject matter i think of the book if it's a book about black hair i me personally i wouldn't tend to purchase it if it were written by a white person because they don't have that lived experience but if it were written by a black person, I would be more likely to, to purchase that, that book. You know, that's just an example. Um, what else am I looking for? I'm also looking for great illustrations. Obviously they say, don't judge a book by the cover, but I can be at times a total book, not judger, but I just, I'm attracted to really beautiful cover work, uh, on a book, on the cover of a book. It, literally like stops me in my tracks when I see a beautiful book cover. And, but it's not, that's not always an indication of a great book. Let's be clear, but I am, I am, I'm attracted to that as well. And then the other thing, the last thing that I'm kind of looking for is can children 
understand this? Right? Can they can they understand it? Will will they get it? And that's when I kind of bring in my kids to read it with them and see how they respond to it before I decide to talk about it and see what kind of discussions we're having as a family, you know, and see what kind of things are coming up for us before I, I, I write like a caption or I, if it's a blog review before I do any of that, I am, I will bring my kids in at the last step. Oh, I love this process. Oh my goodness. I like, yes. want to, I like see all the books right now. Um, you all can't see this, but Sharnay has like a bookshelf behind her, all these books. And I'm like so curious and I want to play, like get in there and look at all your books, but yeah, great. And one of the things, and um, I think this is a huge reason why a lot of people kind of drew attention to your page after George Floyd's murder. Can you discuss the importance of diversity inclusion in the home and how can books just widen the minds of our children. Like how can books just kind of help, especially initiate those conversations about race and skin tone. Um, I know like Abby and I've had several conversations in the last year and with other people where it doesn't, it feels it's uncomfortable, but can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. And it is a very uncomfortable thing. And I don't know always why that is right. It's like, why does this make us so uncomfortable to talk about? I wish we could normalize this as an everyday conversation that you're always and an ongoing conversation that you're always having with your with your children. But I think it it just makes people uncomfortable because you don't know the right words to say, you don't want to sound offensive or you don't want to sound racist or you know, those types of things. And you don't want to come across as like not knowing what you're talking about. And I think that's what, what stops a lot of people initially is just like, they just don't know. They don't know what to do or what to say. And so that's where I think it's important to first start on your own, start with yourself. You cannot go to a child and start talking about race and racism and skin tone and this and that and, you know, treating people equally and fairly and, you know, all of these things, you know, all the things, unless you do that kind of inner work on yourself. If you were raised in a suburban area, you're only surrounded by people that look like you and you have been all of your life, you may already have some internal biases or prejudice that, 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 that are just there, right? And even if you don't consider yourself to be a quote unquote racist person, you might have some sort of microaggressions that you might not even be aware of, or maybe you are aware of, right? Like clutching your purse a little bit tightly if a person of color walks by you, you know, those types of things. Um, and so it, it is uncomfortable. It is an uncomfortable conversation, but we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable not just in talking about rape, but just in life with, with everything, right? With everything, whenever you're trying something for the first time, you still have that like gut-wrenching, uncomfortable feeling. It's the same thing with this. And so it's, it's a normal, it's a normal thing, a normal feeling. But it's important to talk about diversity and inclusion in the home, I believe, because this is the world that we live in, right? And it's, it's not going to get any less diverse. I believe that the world is going to continue to get even more and more diverse. 
as the years go on. And so why wouldn't you want your children to know about diversity and to know about things like equality and equity and treating people kindly with fairness, right? And regardless of how they look, regardless of how they speak, what they wear, all of these things, why wouldn't you want that for your children or for yourself, right? Um, and so that's why I think it's important. It's just because like, this is just our everyday life. We're, 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 you're going to come across people that look different than you, pe- people that have different beliefs than you, and you have to know how to handle that, right? And so I think that just comes from being around other people that look different different than you. And if you can't be around them physically, maybe getting to know people virtually, maybe you just do research online and, and learn about different cultures and beliefs and traditions. And, you know, there are ways to do this without like saying, you know, oh, I got to go out and find a black friend or a Latino, you know, whatever. There's ways to do this. We have technology. Embrace it. I love that. I think uh, I I have a friend who's black. She's been my friend since I was in middle school. Um, but it was funny. She's like, I feel like a lot more people have been checking in on me ever since the George Floyd thing. And she's like, there is kind of this sense of like, why does everybody want a black friend right now? And I think it's just because people are trying to educate themselves, like you said, so I can have those conversations with my children, but more than anything, maybe be, become aware of a bias I didn't know I had. And then talking to somebody that might say, do you realize that you just did X, Y, and Z as this black man walked by, but I didn't, you know, like you might not notice it. And I think right. that's the key thing. You can't become aware if you're always around people that think like you act like you and look like you. That's right. Being anti-racist is more than just reading books. Books, I feel like it's the beginning when you're doing the work doing the work, like you said, to echo what you said, Charnay, doing the work on yourself. Um, there's, you have a lot of great recommendations on her page at Here We Read for adults if you want to start that work. But what's being anti-racist is more than reading the books, but what is your number one mer- message for parents who are raising anti-racist children? Um, once they've done the work, once, you know, if they're reading books, like what's the number one thing if a parent were to come to you for advice, like what's the number one thing that you want them to take away and instill in their kids? Keep going, keep going, because there's going to be more, unfortunately, there are going to be more George Floyds that are going to be out there. There are going to, there's going to continue to be hate against, you know, and uh, Asians, right? We're seeing a lot of that right now. There's going to be, continue to be people that don't agree that, immigrants belong in the U.S., right? So immigration is going to continue to be a problem. All of these things are going to continue to happen. History is going to continue to repeat itself. And so once you start having the conversation with your children, you have to keep going. You, you cannot stop once the, you know, George Floyd is done and, you know, six months go by, back to life as usual. And then you start talking about it again once the next incident happens. I just, I just think it has to be an ongoing conversation. I w- that's my number one advice is just to always keep going, keep going. And it doesn't have to be like always about race. It doesn't have to be always be about race. Like talk about just fairness and, and treating each other fairly, just being kind to each other, right? And so I think no matter, no matter what the person looks like, being, be, just being kind, being kind to, 
to your fellow classmates, your fellow neighbors, your fellow friends. Those are the kinds of messages that you just have to, those are the kinds of conversations and messages you have to keep sending and keep reiterating to kids over and over again, I believe. So that's my number one advice. Just keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop at, you know, reading 10 books and say, well, I'm done. Or don't stop once you take a course, right? It has to be an ongoing conversation, an ongoing thing that you keep doing. Um, when you when you witness something that's unfair, you're going to be in the grocery store, right? If you if you if you see that, if you're witnessing along witnessing it along with your children, if you have if you have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or whatever, point it out. Maybe when you get in the car, hey, did you see that thing that happened in the grocery store? What did you think about it? Let's just you know have a very informal conversation about things like that. That's great advice. Just keep it going, people. That doesn't, once the news cycle ends, doesn't mean the conversations <laughs> stop. So keep it going. I think that's really great advice. And I think kindness is a huge thing. We talk about kindness a lot in our home and try to, I just had a conversation with my daughter, Mia, who's three, and just talked about um, not so much that being kind is almost like more attractive. Grazing girls, I'm always conscious of not focusing so much on their appearances and more so um, her characteristics, but kindness is a big thing that we talk about a lot. Yeah, but I also think you can make it fun too, right? And it's about like, it, you don't have to wait for a specific month to tell you what to talk about with your kids. Like right now, as at the time of this recording, it's, uh, what month is, oh my God, Asian, Asian American and Pacific Islander month, right? So you're going to see a lot of people talking about these kinds of books, talking about, you know, just, just Asians and Pacific Islanders and lifting them up all throughout the month of May, which is great. It's perfect. But you can do that even when it's not May. You can do that in December, right? Maybe you gather your kids and, you know, oh, let me, let's find like a fun Asian recipe online. Let's try to make this dessert together as a family, or something like that, right? Where you're, you're constantly learning and teaching kids about different cultures, different traditions, different people that don't necessarily believe the things that you believe or do the things that you do. But maybe it's just, it's, you could just make it a fun thing and it doesn't have to go along with necessarily a specific month. I love that. I, my kids school, they do a lot of that. Like it, it doesn't necessarily, sometimes like you don't realize the theme until you, your kids start talking about it. And even the other day we were reading the, my sons loved the book, uh, little blue truck. Yeah. We've read it like a hundred times. So it was funny the other day. My son was like, so, you know, if the bid truck would have just helped in the beginning, do you think he still would have gotten stuck? And then oh. and he's like, you know, and I was like, I didn't think about what this, I, it was just about a, a truck that gets stuck and then right. everybody helps him. But I was like, you know, I guess that's a good point. Like, what if he just would have been nice and said, you know, would he still have gotten stuck? And so like, there's always more like messages in these books that might not be direct, but it's a great conversation starter, like you said, for being kind or, you know all these different animals came to help, even though the big blue truck wasn't nice in the beginning and stuff like that. I just, I think there's a lot of opportunities without it being so direct. And I think that's a good way to approach it with kids. So it doesn't, doesn't always feel like it has to be this uncomfortable thing that you're bringing up. Right. Absolutely. 
So I'm, um, <laughs> this is like a question for you. It's kind of a tough question, but I, I, something I've thought about a lot. So okay. I've always, me, Vanessa, I'm biracial, Afro-Latina, like always been throughout my life, like never knew like what box to check. I have now married a white man, but I'm raising multiracial children. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out the best way to discuss race and their heritage with them without saying the wrong Thing. And unfortunately, there isn't quite a book yet <laughs> on that. So I've just, you know, I'm fearful of saying the wrong things because it's so important. And as a kid, truthfully, my parents never discussed race. I mean, I'm proud of my heritage and where I'm from, but um, they never, I never had to have conversations with them. They never talked to me about, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been asked, what are you? Yeah, I don't, I just, I'm waiting for my girls. Like I'm anticipating one day they're coming to me and mention that. And I just would love any advice or guidance that you have on that because I know how that, how small that can make someone feel. And I just Mm -hmm. want them to feel proud of who they are. And, um, with multiracial kids, like you said, there's more and more, our country is getting, becoming more and more diverse, more interracial relationships. So I just want to approach it with them in the best way. Yeah, for sure. So I think there are, there are some good books out there about multiracial families. Not a whole lot. I haven't seen a whole lot, but I, I know that more are coming. I have, I have seen some, some really good ones that are coming up, but I think, you know, as you said, just instilling that pride within your children, I think is just, just going to be important, whether you do it through books or just through you and, you know, you and your husband, you as a family, telling them maybe about a little bit about how you grew up. What's, what were some of the things that you did growing up as a child? Talk about your, your culture, your heritage, you know, loving your hair, loving your skin just for, for who you are. And, uh, you know, and, and if you, if you are religious teaching them about your faith, you know, these are the things that we do as a family. And I, I think those are the things that are really kind of important. But as far as books, there is a, there is one that I'd like. It's a really simple book. I think it's called, Where Are You From? The author escapes me, but it is about that, like that that question, where are you from? Somebody will look at you and say, where are you from? Right. Cause I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't know exactly where you were from just by, just by looking at you. But I think when you have like that different kind, and I hate to say different, but that, that, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, that I get little, it. You're yeah. Not, you're not, bo- I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not offended by anything you would say. Yeah. No, it's, it's a thing. Like people are curious. And when you people don't, are curious. you don't look exactly like, they're like, wait, okay. You kind of look black, but wait, you're not right. dark, but also you're married to, it's just like, all yeah. yeah I get it. So people it's like, are where curious. are you from? Where? Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. And I, I get the question, but I think just like, you know, I think the, the best advice would just be, like I said, instilling that pride in your children you know, and then of course you're going to have to talk to them about race, you know, yeah, being, being you as a biracial black woman, you are going to have to talk about, you know, have that uncomfortable conversation about race and, and racism. Um, you know, that's just a part of, that's just a part of what we have to deal with as people of color. 
And so I think it's important that, that children know that too, instead of learning about it from their friends or learning about it from the news, we have to be the ones to teach our children. And it's interesting that now I think parenting is more like a, a way of like being an activist. Isn't that interesting? Right. You're, it's like, you're all, you're all, you're, we are as parents, we are now activists in a lot of ways, just because of the way the, the current world is. No, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. That's really helpful. And I think I'm doing a lot of the things I think because of the where I live and where I grew up, I've always been like the only brown girl in a predominantly white area. So um, I just like, am so conscious of that and just wanting my girls to not feel my goal is one for them to feel proud, proud and pride, but not to feel anything I felt as a kid. So I think going to give myself the pat on the back and say I'm on a good start. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I think you're that. doing a great job, you know. Thank you. It's just do it do your best. Thank you for that. Um I'm curious aside from your account and your blog and everything that you share, what are other great resources for parents when it comes to diversity inclusion that you would recommend either they follow, they read, they watch? What are your some of your recommendations? Yeah, for um I really like uh, the Conscious Kid, they do a lot of great work. They also do book recommendations, I believe. Um, not as I don't see them doing as many book recommendations as they used to in the past. I think they they're now a nonprofit organization, but they do a lot of great work in the community as well as as well as in you know the, the literacy space as well. They do have book recommendations, um, but I really enjoy following them. The, if people want to do the internal work on themselves, and this is just a resource for adults, I like the, I think it's the Harvard, Harvard University has these implicit bias tests. And I, I love those. Have you, have you seen those or done those before? I've, I've done it before. I've, yeah, I've done it too. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of eye opening for some of them. Cause you think, I don't know, I think I was like, I'm a good person. I don't judge people. And there are little things, like you said, I I probably just grew up with it, wasn't aware of it. And it it does kind of open your eyes. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, And then, of course, Instagram. Instagram has so many amazing accounts that are out there for diversity inclusion. I'm trying to think of some of the others, uh, but there's so many. There's so many great resources that are available. Um, Diverse Book Finder is another great resource. They, I think they are diversebookfinder.org or maybe .com. I don't know. But they are a, a great resource for looking for diverse books as well. And you can search by subject, different category. And I think they may have an app too. Don't quote me on that. But I know, they, I know for sure they have a website. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing those recommendations and resources. And we'll be sure to like list these out um, to make it easy for you all to find. We have a few questions from our followers that we're going to ask these next set of questions. Um, okay. So the well, first question, if you see problematic content while reading out loud, what's the best thing to do? Yeah, I usually try to read books first on my own before I read them with my kids, just so I can be aware of, you know, any potential problematic content and make my own like little notes or just jot things down. If it's too problematic, obviously I'm not going to read it with my kids. (laughs) Um, But if it's, if it's, if it's not, and maybe it's an illustration that 
could have been done a little bit differently, or maybe it's a sentence or two that could have been written or phrased a little bit differently. I may, if I'm, and I usually am reading aloud with my kids, even though they are totally capable of reading on their own, they're seven and eight, but I, I still love reading out loud to them. <laughs> um, but if it, if it is a situation when I'm reading the book and, you know, maybe I want to say this a little bit different, I'll say it the way that I want to say it instead of saying it the way that it's written in the book. Or I'll say it the way that it's written in the book and then say, how do you think that could have, how did that sound to you? Do you think that that sounded right? Or could this have maybe been said a little bit differently? How does it make you feel? That type of thing and try to open up a conversation. But I think those, that's how I really kind of approach it. No, that's smart. That's good advice. I actually don't, I don't think I read the books before. Maybe I should start doing that. I usually go and I'm like, oh, okay. This has lots of words. That's usually my first thought. This one has more words than I thought. Uh, Here's another. I usually do that for picture books. If it's a picture book or like a, a, well, we don't read many board books anymore, but if it's a picture book, I usually read it on my own anyway, just because I love picture books. But if it's like an early chapter book, sometimes, and actually most of the time, I don't read it. I don't read it. Um, on my own, just because I'm like, I'm all, I'm usually always reading a grown up book that I just can't squeeze it in. And so most of the time, if it's a, if it's a chapter book, cause we do a family read aloud once a, once a month. And it's usually a chapter book that we're reading together as a family. And so if I see it, you know, again, I'll use the approach that I already said. Oh my gosh. I love that you do that. I'm I know I'm a mental note right now. I'm like, Ah, oh, family book club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that idea. And I'm actually starting, I'm actually starting a family book club for families. And it's starting actually this month, this month. And our first meeting is going to be May 27th. And we're having author, New York Times bestselling author, Renee Watson. She's going to be joining us as well as Leah Henderson, who is the author of the picture book that I selected for the month. So once a month, we're going to get together on Zoom and just talk about books uh, for families. So bring your kids. It's a family. It's a family time. We're going to be doing book giveaways, giving away books. We are also doing other giveaways for different toys or different items that I select once a month. I'm choosing a different sponsor, usually a Black-owned small business to collaborate with us and they're going to be the sponsor of the month. And then we're also giving away some of their items. If people want to sign up, do they go to your website, www.herewe with two E's? Yes, it's going to be on my website. It's not up there yet. It's going to be on my website. My website is in the process of being revised. So I'm hoping to have that up within like this week or maybe next week. But yeah, for now, people just can just go to my Instagram. I have the link in my bio. Okay, perfect. That sounds awesome. I can't now. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to do this when my girls are old enough to to read. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here's another question. My daughter loves okay. the proudest blue book. Sometimes she will put a washcloth or blanket on her head and says she's wearing a hijab. Mm-hmm. Hijab. I don't want to have a big reaction to it, but what should I say that doesn't stifle three-year-old creativity and doesn't encourage cultural appropriation? That's a great question. And I think you, first of all, 
applaud them for noticing that it is a hijab, for using the correct language and remembering that that's what it's called. You know, especially if you if you read the book about it. But um, ah, this is a tough one because you don't want you wouldn't want them maybe doing that in a public, a more public setting, like in a playground, right? Especially if there are people, if there are people there that are actually wearing hijabs. And so they might, people might take offense to that. So I think maybe the best approach might be to say, it's great that you're, it's great that you, you remembered what a hijab is and you're recognizing, yes, that, that is, you're right. That is a hijab. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of how I would say that. Um, I'm curious about this because my kids go to a Jewish daycare. We're a Christian family. It just, it happens to be the closest one to us. We live in a very Jewish community and they're always wanting to like celebrate Jewish traditions, which I'm like, it's fine. We can sing the songs in Hebrew, but I also worry about like, is someone going to think it's cultural appropriation or that in some way it's like a joke, you know, that we think it's funny, but really my kids are like just excited about it. It's really hard. Right. Yeah, and it is hard. It is hard because you don't want, like you said, like the like the listener said, you don't want to stifle the creativity. But I, I think just maybe pointing out, yes, you know, applaud them for using the correct language and noticing and remembering that that's what it is. But sort of finding a way, and I don't, I don't know, I've never been in that situation, but uh, finding a way to get them to understand that, you know, maybe sometimes sometimes people can be a little bit sensitive to that um in some sort of way i don't really know um no it's not tough one yeah it is tough it is tough because you 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 don't want to just blatantly outright say hey stop doing that you know because then they're like why you know yeah, and then you got to explain that especially if it's a public setting right yeah. if it's at home i think you can kind of try to figure out ways to get around that a little bit, but that's a tough question. That's a tough question. It's a tough question. Um, so I think, you know, key takeaways is correcting your child, your daughter, that she used a correct term, but, um, trying to maintain it in a more in-home setting and kind of, um, trying to find a delicate way to say that this is, correct but this is special to certain people and their culture yeah um it's probably a way i would start to go about it so right it's definitely easier when you have an older child right if you have an older child you could just tell them like listen we, we just don't we just don't do that like it's it's not appropriate people get offended by it and some some people may think that you're trying to make fun of them right yeah um so I think it's it's a little it's definitely easier when you have older children, but you know younger kids they they just they're just mimicking what they what they read in the book and you know and they don't have I don't think small children have that internal in, intention of like like really trying to hurt someone's feelings yeah, absolutely just knowing that they're being offensive you know what I mean they're just being creative and they're they're just expressing something that they remembered from a book you know yeah, absolutely. Here's our last follower question. What's the best way to correct someone who's using inappropriate terms in front of their child? So I think the scenario this person shared is that they have a friend who um, 
uses kind of like an inappropriate term in, in front of their kid. So this is um, tough because with friends, you don't want to, I don't know, it's hard. You don't usually want to get in someone's business and how they parent their child. But if you're witnessing something and they're using inappropriate racist terms, um, would you recommend that if the parent pulls that person aside and have a conversation with them, not in front of the child? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would, me personally, especially if it was offensive to me. And sometimes I think you can read people's body language too. If they said something and then like other people were like, you know, just had that look like, then you, especially if it's your friend, you should be able to kind of pull them aside and say, hey, let's, let's talk about this for a second. You know, you just said this and you know, it, it, it wasn't appropriate and, you know, maybe give them a suggestions on how to say it differently next time. Um, but yeah, I think for sure, if you witness something and if, if it's, if they are your friend, you should be able to have that conversation, you know, just telling them that wasn't right. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep it Don't do that. And here's why. Yeah, right? Explain, exactly. explain, explain why. Exactly. That's, that's true. I think a big part in all these conversations that we have is explaining the why, the why right. you shouldn't do this or say this or think this. Um, so that's really important. Um, Abby, do you have any last questions for Sharnae? No, I mean, this was so helpful. I just love the idea of using reading as kind of like a family thing, but it can also just open so many doors, whether it's a conversation about uncomfortable topics, but you can use the book as an introduction or just a way to like gather as a family. I think we're always, you know, growing up for me, it was movie night because Mm -hmm. movies weren't just always available on the TV. You had to go to Blockbuster and rent it. And that was like an exciting thing. So like TVs aren't really like a family bonding thing anymore. I think it takes away. So I love the idea of just using books for so many different ways to kind of come together as a family. Yeah. Oh, that was so fun. I have one last question. Okay. I think this comes around a lot around Halloween time and Mm -hmm. it has to do with cultural appropriation. So I'm thinking about like Moana, for instance, and Mm. children, like where's the fine line between a child just wanting to be Moana because she's this princess and Disney princess. And when does it become problematic if that makes sense I feel like around Halloween every year there's people there's conversations around um, children dressing up like a lot of these Disney characters that's right yeah yeah that's that's also an interesting question I mean for me like if I saw a child who wanted to dress up as Moana okay go for it and I think it's it's more exciting acceptable quote-unquote because it's a Disney character uh doesn't maybe necessarily make it right but I think people more so think that's okay because it's on Disney it's a movie you got all the characters behind it um but I think it kind of crosses the line when you start doing things like you're wearing blackface or you're wearing a, uh, I don't even know, a headband maybe with feathers, right? Um, or your, I don't know. I'm trying to think of another. Yeah, I mean, I costume. think a heritage you know what I mean? when it's, a costume. Right, if it's, right, if it's a heritage, right, and not maybe like a, a fictional character, then I think it, that's when you're kind of crossing the line. Um, 
more into like the cultural appropriation kind of thing. Um, but like I said, I think f- fictional characters are a little bit more uh, accepted because people, you know, people know that 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 your your child is dressing up as Moana because they know, you know, that's a Disney movie. But I think when it's more out of out of like the fictional character realm, and I think um, that's when it becomes a little bit more offensive. Again, it's it's a tricky thing because kids they just want to dress up. They just want to dress up for Halloween. And again, you know, if it's a teenager they should know better, right? But if it's like a five-year-old who, who's excited about the movie Moana, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Try, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Try, I mean, yeah. It's it's tough. But I think if the intentions are, like you said, just the fictional character, you're not doing blackface. They're just truly wearing, dressing up like Moana or right. whoever, um, Maui or whoever. If, yeah. And don't get me wrong. There are probably going to be some people that would be offended by your, your daughter. Like if they saw your daughter or your, or your, your, your child rather um, dressed up as Moana, there are still going to be some people that are going to be offended regardless. You're never going to be able to please everybody. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's, you know, like I said, more acceptable because people know who Moana is. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I was just kind of curious because I think it's something that comes up every fall and I'm sure you get people in your DMs. Oh, yeah. And I think you did a post about <laughs> this actually because I, I think I like, saved it. But um, yeah. thank you so much, Charnay, for joining us. Please tell everyone all the things, how they can listen to your podcast, how they can follow you with your website, um, your Instagram account, all the things. Sure. So I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and Facebook as Here We Read, and that's Here We Read, H-E-R-E. The word we has two E's, so W-E-E-R-E-A-D. And my blog is hereweread.com. My personal website is charnaygordon.com. And my podcast is called Here We Read, a bookish podcast. So I'm on Apple Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all of the places where you can listen to podcasts. And I am also, as of tomorrow, I will be a published children's book author. So that's so awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So my, my first uh, book is coming out. I edited this book. It was a previously self-published book that they asked me to be, it it was acquired by a, a larger publisher and they asked me to be the editor on that book. So that's called Race Cars, a children's book about white privilege. That comes out tomorrow, May 4th. And then I have the other book is called A Kid's Book About Diversity. And that comes out on May 17th with the publisher A Kid's Book About. And then in August, I have a picture book called A Friend Like You, coming out that I co-authored with Frank Murphy, who does the, he, he's the creator of the Like You series. So that comes out August 15th. Oh my gosh. I'm so yeah. excited. I'm going to add to cart immediately. Thank I'm you. <laughs> a spending freeze, but I want to support you. Charlotte. Oh, and thank this you. Is, this thank is um, you so something I would, oh, I would love. I'm so excited for you. Well, congratulations on all your successes. This is so great connecting with you and talking to you. And thank you again for being on the show. 
Thanks for having me. Bye, ladies. Your challenge, if you choose to accept it, is this. Let's go, let's go! Show up on day one, work out with us for 30 minutes, feel good right away. Yo! Repeat five days a week for three weeks. Three weeks? Five workouts a week. We're a body, and we call that a body block. You pick the block, and you're going to love the experience. On week four, this part is really important. Take the week off. Seriously, we mean it. Rest, go on vacation, or try something new. Maybe some yoga. Notice you're not holding on to any tension here. Or a dance class. Get sexy with it, daddy. You do you. And then start again. Be committed to this process. Choose a new body block each month. Get a new challenge each month. Have fun every day. Avoid burnout. You're not going to quit on yourself today. This is how you reach your goals. You win? There is nothing that we can't do if we work together. Sign up for your first body block today. Visit body.com for a free trial. That's B-O-D-I. Are you ready to get started?